0: The first one is the feeding of the 5,000, where many have gathered to hear Jesus speak, and in that time they have gotten hungry, they were not prepared with food, and Jesus had multiplied fishes and loaves and had fed them. And the second miracle is Jesus walking on the water. And so then we come to today's word. Listen for the word of God. When the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and came to Capernaum, looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus replied, I assure you that you are looking for me not because you saw miracle signs, but because you ate all the food you wanted. Don't work for the food that doesn't last, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the human one will give you. God the Father has confirmed him as his agent to give life. And they asked, what must we do in order to accomplish what God requires? And Jesus replied, this is what God requires, that you believe in him whom God sent. They asked, what miraculous signs will you do that we can see and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness just as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus told them, I assure you, it wasn't Moses who gave the bread from heaven to you, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. The bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said, Sir, give us this bread all the time. And Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never grow hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone, um, and greetings from all the way on the other side of the country, San Francisco, and it's wonderful for me to be here to actually experience summer warmth. Um, summer is actually the coldest time in San Francisco. It is our winter. It is when the fog rolls in so thick that everyone has to wear jackets and down coats. Uh, my kids have never worn shorts during the summer this whole entire time. And so we have to come to places like this to actually re- be reminded that the sun exists, there is a sun. Um, while I've been living in San Francisco for quite a long time, um, I actually grew up in Reno, Nevada. Um, so my normal in growing up was that I thought every 7-Eleven, every Walmart, every chain restaurant had slot machines in them. That was my normal. Hearing that ching-ching-ching-ching-ching sound everywhere we go, wherever people stand stood in line, there were slot machines makes the DMV line go very fast. (laughs) But here's the thing about um, Reno, is that we actually um, don't go to the casinos to gamble. We go to the casinos to eat at the all-you-can-eat buffet. Now, if you have never been to a buffet, okay, I want to, let me specify and clarify that statement a little bit if you have never been to a buffet, in a casino, in either Reno or Las Vegas, then you have never experienced eating in abundance, top quality food at bargain prices. I'm not talking about your chain, all you can eat salad buffet. I'm not talking about the sizzler. I'm talking about good food in all varieties any choice you can possibly imagine at your fingertips. Well, here's the thing about eating at buffets, is that if you are inexperienced, if you are a novice to eating at buffets, then you're going to do what everyone does. You start at the salad bar. And why not? Because it is fresh vegetables and all the salad dressings of your choice, pasta salad, ambrosia, anything that you could possibly want to eat. And then you move on to the main course. You might want to try some Mexican or Chinese, or you might want to get hamburger and pizza, or you might want to go wild and go Mediterranean. Or you might just want to skip all of that and go straight for the meat, brisket, and pot roast, and ham. And then there's the dessert. After you've gone through your seconds and your thirds, don't forget dessert. It's a glutton's paradise ice cream, cheesecake, pies, cakes, all you can possibly imagine. Now, to the experts, those buffet experts, and when I say experts, I mean Koreans, (laughs) there are rules to eating at a buffet, okay? Here are the rules. First, if you know you're going to have, if you're going to go to a buffet that day, You don't do it during lunch. You go during dinner. And if you're going to go to a buffet during dinner, you only go on Fridays. Why? Because Friday is seafood night. And you go right when dinner time starts because you don't want to fight the crowd. Now, during the day, you have to fast, you want your stomach at the ultimate emptiness. And you have to psychologically prepare yourself for the dinner that you are about to have. And you have to physically prepare yourself, which means you wear the elastic pants. (laughs) You wear running shoes so that you don't slip on the way to the buffet line. And never, ever go alone. you got to team up. It's a team sport when you eat at the buffet. You never, ever see Koreans lined up for the crab legs alone. And in fact, skip the salad bar, skip all of the other varieties, you only go for the crab legs. So while everyone is standing in the long line for the crab legs as they are being depleted, you'll see a table probably this big, of just crab legs, and Koreans enjoying every morsel of crabby ecstasy. Those are the rules of the buffet. The other rule of the buffet is you eat to fulfillment, but you cannot take any leftovers home. These are the same rules that are given to the Israelites, as we read in Exodus. You have a people here who are wandering the wilderness. They have been freed from slavery and oppression. And they are wandering in the wilderness, and they are on a journey. They are on a journey to discover not only who God is, but who they are. Because over this time, they have lost a complete sense of, Of themselves and so they're wandering the desert and they are hungry but they're they're not just hungry they're hangry do you know that term hangry it's hungry plus anger hangry I'm not making this word up it actually exists if you've ever seen um, one of those latest snicker bar commercials Right? And so the latest one is Marsha Brady turns into actor Danny Trejo and he's, she's being a little complicated and Mama Brady hands her a Snicker bars and goes, Marsha, eat this. And she says, why? She goes, because you're not you when you're hungry. They are hangry. And there's actually scientists who have determined this as a legitimate psychological response. That hunger and anger share the same common genes. So when hunger, you feel that impulse to eat, you feel that same impulse of aggression as well, which is why you never get in the way of a hungry Korean at a buffet. <laughs> but the Israelites are hangry. They are hungry. And God provides for them in the most abundant way, but it's not about feeding them, it's about testing them. And the test is, will they trust that God will always provide for them? Because up until this point, they don't have that experience to rely on, that yes, God provides for them, but is God the God that will always provide for them over and over and over again? And so this is the test before them, and they fail. But it's not the failure that we have to focus on. What I'm concerned about or what I'm interested about is the complaint, that they're complaining to God, because it's in the complaint that really shows Their faith. That they can trust God enough to complain, to cry out, to lean upon, and that God will again and again, no matter how much they complain, will constantly provide for them. When we enter into the John text, we see another different type of crowd that's hangry. And not just physically hangry, they are spiritually hangry because they've just been fed. They've just been fed in abundance of bread and of fish. But even after they've been fulfilled, they follow Jesus. No, no, they don't follow Jesus. They pursue Jesus so much so that Jesus has to run away, get in a boat, and cross to the other side of the lake only to find the same hangry crowd waiting to catch him. And they want to know. They want to know, where can we get more of this bread? Where can we get more so that we are satisfied and fulfilled? And so what does Jesus say? Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. In Korea, uh, bread does, didn't exist. Um, it exists now, but it didn't exist um, kind of in its original culture. Um, what was bred for Korea was rice. Rice. Um, and rice actually is the symbol for life in Korea. So when you're eating rice, you're, 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 eating, you're eating life. Um, so when you say um, pop, pop means rice in Korean. Um, there's a bunch of food on the table If there isn't a bowl of rice, there might as well not be food on the table. And the way you eat Korean food is you always start with the rice, and then you pick at the other foods. The rice is the base. Rice also means the meal in itself. So if I invite you over to my house and I say, do you want to come over for a meal? I'm literally saying, do you want to come over for some rice? Rice means life. Much like the wandering of the Israelites, um, the immigrant life is quite difficult. My parents uh, came from Korea in the early 70s. And, um, and I remember when they had come here, there wasn't abundance of Asian cuisine or, or even rice, as a matter of fact. There's um, a story that um, one of my dad's friends told where um, he didn't, when he first came to the United States, he didn't know what to eat. All he had heard about were hamburgers. So for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, he ate hamburgers. And then one day, he was taken um, with a friend to a salad bar, and he sees this white substance, and he thinks he is seeing a mirage is that rice? I haven't had rice in so long. And he spoons moundfuls of this white substance on his plate, and he digs in to the mushy taste of cottage cheese. (laughs) The immigrant life is hard, much like the wandering Israelites, because it is a life of being nomadic. You are searching for a home. You are searching for a sense of belonging. You are searching for a better life. And there's no place to root yourself except for the food. It's around mealtime. It's around gathering around the meals, around the rice, around the life that you are reminded of who you are. Because immigrant life is hard. It's so hard that you could understand The Israelites longing for the days of slavery, longing for the days of slavery because it's familiar, not because it was wonderful, a life of no dignity, no home, no respect, no comfort. But life is so hard that you would long for that just merely because it's familiar. At least I know when I can eat, at least I know when I have to work. At least I know when I have to sleep. And so for my parents, the time of belonging and the time of remembering who we are was around the dinner table. There's a chef um, in L.A. called Roy, uh, named Roy Choi, and he started the whole food truck craze um, that spread across the United States. And he was a chef, and he had lost his job, and he decided... um, you know, I'll buy a food truck, and um, I want to make Korean food more adaptable, so he created and invented the Korean taco. Well when you hear about him talk about food, he talks about his childhood, that that is when he first learned how to cook food. One of the terms that he talks about is what he calls "son mash." son mash. Son" in Korean means "hand." And when he talks about his childhood, he says he has no memory of ever feeding himself. He doesn't have one memory of feeding himself. What he has a memory of is other people's hands sticking food in his mouth. He said it was like a conveyor belt. All he had to do as a child was come to the table with his mouth open, and people's hands would be shoving food into his mouth. And he calls this son mash. And he likens this to, um, he says, every chef, when they cook, will have this perfect moment where you're making a dish and you taste it and it comes out perfectly. Perfectly. And as a chef, you don't pat yourself on the back. What you want to do is you want to share it with other people. And so you invite others over and you say, taste this. I want you to taste this. He says that's what um, coming around the, the table is like, is that you have prepared this food with your own hands and that you are feeding it with one another with your own hands. Son mash literally means fingers in your uh, flavors in your fingertips. So you're not only tasting the food, you're tasting the life and the stories and the people who made them and who are feeding you. He says, the food was for you, but it also wasn't for you at the same time. Because of the people who cooked it, they were pouring their life into the food. My mom says that the first step to cooking is learning how to eat it, the taste, memorizing the taste, the flavors in the fingertips. My mother-in-law is a phenomenal cook, and if you ask my son um, who makes the best soups, he'll automatically say grandma, my mother-in-law. And so when she comes to visit, because she knows how much my son loves her cooking, she will make pots and pots of soup that we can freeze for the rest of the year. And as my mom's been getting older, my husband has been learning how to cook in the way that she does. Um, For someone who likes to bake like me, what's frustrating about Korean cooking is that there are no measurements. It's just throw a little here, throw a little there, taste it. Throw a little here, throw a little there, taste it. And so my husband cooks that same way, so that when you're tasting the soup, it tastes just like the way my mother-in-law makes it. Well, just about a couple weeks ago, my son wanted to learn how to cook, and so my husband was teaching my son how to make his favorite soup. And his favorite soup is, um, it's, if you've ever been to a Japanese restaurant, it's basically a miso soup. And in Korean, we call it tenjang jjigae. And tenjang just has a very simple, basic ingredients. It's just water spinach, maybe a little bit of tofu, and then this fermented soybean paste. Now, it's the fermented soybean paste that has to go by how you like the taste. It's not about five teaspoonfuls or four teaspoonfuls. It's all about taste. So, here's my son, and he's boiling the water, and he's chopping the vegetables, and he's putting it in, and then it came time to put in the soybean paste. And he asked my dad, or he asked his dad, how much do I put in? And my husband said, I don't know. You tell me. So he put a spoonful in, and he mixed it, and he tasted it. And he put another spoonful in, and he mixed it, and he tasted it. Until he felt that it tasted just like grandma makes it. And then we had dinner that night, and he was so proud of himself, and it tasted just like Grandma makes it. Well, I've been gone this whole week traveling, and my husband texts me a picture, and it's my son and his sister, um, and then his, um, his uh, 10-year-old and, and 7-year-old cousin, and they're all around the dinner table, and they're eating soup. And my son made him that soup. Son mash. My son remembers the taste. And because he remembers the taste, he's able to feed others. So when you come to this table and we break bread and we say, eat, do this in remembrance of me. I want you to think for a minute. What are you to remember? Ask yourself, when I come to this table and I'm asked to eat this bread and remember, do you know what you're supposed to remember? And it's okay if you don't have the answer to that. It just means you need to eat more. You gotta memorize the taste before you can feed others. So come. Taste the flavors of the fingertips of Jesus Christ. Feed, learn to feed one another with your hands. Share your life and your stories with one another so that we aren't hangry anymore. If you go back to the feeding of the 5,000, the last time I had preached on that story was at um, the Presbyterian Youth Triennium with 5,000 kids on a hillside. The most amazing part of that story is that, do you remember who brought the fishes and the loaves? It was a young kid. It was a young kid. It started with a young kid, one kid. It starts with you, eating around the table, memorizing the taste, feeding one another. That's what we are to remember. That's the bread of life. And so take, eat. Remember this. Jesus is the bread of life. Amen.